Hey guys, welcome to Rankin' Vile, the podcast ranking every horror movie ever made. And this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's your week going? I am in a bit of a quandary because my son is really into Minecraft YouTube, mm-hmm. as, as, as are every seven-year-old uh-huh. on the planet. Uh, and I don't know how to tell him that his taste in YouTube sucks. <laughs> Yeah, like, how do you, like, cup a small child's face in your hands and whisper, your content fucking sucks? Like, how do you, there's no, yeah. So, like, are you, how do you deal with that? So, what I've been doing is I've been, he's obsessed with merch, because the insidiousness of all of these um, pay-for-play YouTubers who Mm -hmm. are making this their career is the native advertising. They've they've so subtly embedded... The advertising and the whole like we we joke about smash that like button and stuff. Of course, but for real, they say things like, "If you love your mom, hit the like button right now." <laughs> this is literally the National Lampoon magazine cover with like, "Buy this magazine or we'll shoot this dog." Like, this yeah, is, they're yeah. like, they're like, "Oh, you have to hit this like button if you want another video," now, as if they're not going to publish tomorrow if you don't hit the like button <laughs> yeah nobody's gonna do it. honestly there's um a podcast that i just started listening to uh that i'm really really into called old gods of appalachia um and it is a uh, horror uh, audio drama podcast uh, by this dude uh, steve shell who's from appalachia and he's like it's fantastic you should check it out but a thing that he does that i love is that at the beginning of the thing when he does or at, you know like when he does his if you you know give give me some money you'll have access to other content He's kind of doing like a Southern preacher uh, patter with it where it's like, you know, like he's he's doing the thing of like, if you give us, you know, five dollars, you know, like it's I feel like if you're going to beg for money or shill or be like smash the like button or I will butterfly my face open and it'll be your fault. Like you got to do something to pair it with. Yeah. Yeah. It. So basically what I've been doing is um, I've been buying him the odd ones out books mm-hmm. uh so the guy that does that youtube channel which is actually very good wait what are these what are what are the odd uh, odd ones out books? the odd ones out is part of uh animator youtube where these uh youtubers are just making animations on youtube of huh. fairly funny stuff uh so uh the odd ones out Jaden animation i've just been buying him merch from good youtubers mm-hmm. and i bought him a ticket to go see a um, a live YouTube show uh, at our local theater, nice. which is like actual YouTubers doing like a stage show, uh, kind of like a live podcast. But oh, but. good! So it's so it's not just literally somebody airing a live stream at a movie theater, and then you no, it's the them. YouTubers on stage doing their their bits okay. in front of a live audience. Well, that, I mean, you know, that's just fun. You know, but I, I, I can, I can get into that. I think honestly, I wonder so much how, and this is me being fucking 80 years old uh, on a cracker barrel uh, porch in a rocking chair. But in terms of like YouTube streamers, I feel like I, I, I both understand the live streaming thing and the, you know, the sort of influencer thing. And I kind of don't understand it because if, I mean, I don't know. I think of when I was really young and would watch like Freddy versus Jason on DVD over and over again because it's what I had available. 
Um, but when you've got like infinite access to anybody streaming a thing, I wonder if it's just like choice paralysis and there's too much of it. So you sort of latch on to one YouTuber and you're like, this is my guy now. I, I wonder, except that my son has multiple guys, okay. and they're all the fucking worst <laughs> type of guy. They're, they're like, internet guy that says bro a lot, and has a stupid amount of money, but no, uh, no sense of what to do with it. Like, yeah. it's actually very sad to get really deep into some of these YouTubers' channels because mm -hmm. they'll shoot out of their homes and sometimes they'll drop the green screen and you can see their bedroom or, like, they'll do things in their house and they all have, like, empty McMansions that Oof. they've clearly gotten because they got a lot of money really fast and because they're 21, they're like, I guess I'll buy a house. But also because they're 21, they're like, but I'm not going to buy furniture. This is like Kirk Van Houten voice. I sleep in a racing car, do you? Where it's like, <laughs> yeah, you got all that YouTube money. And this is, uh, it, there's nothing emptier than an empty McMansion, to paraphrase Raymond Chandler. Like, it's 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 <laughs> ghoulish. Um, now, actually, so what's also ghoulish, the, the, the ghoul thing that I've been doing this week. So Sarah has never seen uh, True Blood and, you know, we have HBO Max now because, for Christ's sakes, we have too many fucking streaming services. Uh, and this was, you know, True Blood was the show that back in the day got me back into watching episodic TV in a lot of ways because it was like, you know, I was in a dorm and this was during the days of Mega Video where you could watch like 20 minutes of a show and then it was like, sign up for Mega Video and give us money or you have to wait an hour to watch the rest of the episode. Um, and I was broke, so I just spent a lot of time waiting. But... Uh, True Blood is perfect gar like it's it's like gas station food in show form. It is it is such a taquito on a on a roller under a heat lamp of a television show. It's wonderful. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Do you recall the Snoop Dogg tie-in rap to True Blood? You Quincy, please, I can only get so erect. When did <laughs> when did this happen? Was this? Yeah, what? it's it's like all suki suki, and he's rapping <laughs> about suki stackhouse. Oh, uh, well, uh, so I'm going. To, I've just bookmarked it, and I'm going to watch it later. Uh, <laughs> holy shit! This is. You know what? God bless Snoop Dogg for showing up to fucking anything. He he really will do anything. Let's let's uh, dive into one of the first things we're talking about this week. Um, I. Just rewatched it today, and I swear to God, the dopamine rush every time I watch it. Uh, we the first one is the uh, episode of the Muppet Show featuring Alice Cooper, which is uh, season three, episode seven. Uh, and the name of the episode, of course, is just special guest Alice Cooper. Um, this is a perfect episode of TV. Yeah, what I I think this gets forgotten about because uh, Tumblr latched onto, and rightfully so, the. Uh, Vincent Price episode. That was oh, season yeah. one of The Muppet Show. It was a lot more readily available to everyone. And it really started the whole beasties and ghoulies and go and creepy crawly things. Mm -hmm. And um, having it and also having the... has the I've got you under my skin number, which is unassailable. Oh yeah. Uh, iconic. So this is the uh crew going, Okay, Vincent Price was really good let's it's october we need to book another spooky guest who can we get oh mm -hmm. alice cooper 
Well, and also because Alice Cooper, I mean, you know, I grew up watching Wayne's World and, you know, he's, Alice Cooper is always is pretty much down for anything in the vein of Snoop Dogg, where it's like, yeah, sure, I'll do The Muppet Show. Um, and I feel like Vincent Price and Alice Cooper, the two of them and Liza Minnelli and Luke, and I was going to say Luke Skywalker, which is technically kind of true because of the thing they do, but uh, Mark Hamill, I feel like that's like the, if, if you were going to make a Mount Rushmore of celebrities who knew what show they were on and were down for whatever, it's those four. Um, yeah. And, like, you know, Vincent Price is, like, great, but um, Alice Cooper... Now, what's incredible is that he just gets to do Welcome to My Nightmare uh, with a Muppet backing band, um, and it's just... It's fucking fantastic. What, what I love about this routine he does, he does a kind of, like, soft shoe dance, but for capes? Yeah, he does. It's, like, just a little tippy tappy number <laughs> he does some soft cape uh, with the with the muppets uh and now what i uh, what, what also is a big feature of this episode and of the muppet show in general because i've been watching a, a fuckload of them uh is kermit the frog is not very nice on the muppet show <laughs> no he's not he's but tired. can you blame him <laughs> no yeah he is bedraggled he is harried he is tired he's trying to get a muppet walrus on stage with a saxophone and he can't find him and he is you know, and then all of a sudden he's got Alice Cooper, who, throughout this episode, keeps trying keeps trying to steal the soul of Kermit the Frog, which is insane to me that they're like, "How do we top Vincent Price?" Oh, let's make Alice Cooper literally an agent of Satan. It's incredible. Like he's got the contract. He keeps just trying to harvest the souls of Muppets throughout he this episode. He turns Miss Piggy into a freakish monster. Now, actually, let's talk about that. Because so Alice Cooper does a duet with Miss Piggy, who is my favorite Muppet. Actually, that's a lie. It's either Miss Piggy or Animal. Um, there was one. So I've been obsessed with the Muppets since I was a kid. Quincy, I don't know if you saw my uh, my my magnum opus on Twitter, which was that I got the Muppets on Twitter to interact with me. <laughs> I haven't seen this. Tell me about it. It was, God, it was like a full week of my notifications blowing up. But that's because I tweeted something about how, like, the measure of a celebrity's soul is how willing they are to work with the Muppets and take it seriously. Um, and it got blown up. Like, a bunch of people retweeted it. And then the Muppets account retweeted it. And then character accounts like Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy interacted with me on Twitter. I'm a 34-year-old adult, and I was quietly like, my friend Kermit the Frog talked to me on Twitter. Like, I, I I always get excited if the Muppets are part of anything. And so for, like, a solid week, my notifications were blowing up because the Muppets, like, Statler and Waldorf quote tweeted me to make fun of me, and it was nothing will ever, will ever touch that uh, the rest of my life. Um, I have to know, do Statler and Waldorf share an account like a like a weird married couple on Facebook, or do they have separate Twitter accounts? They have the same joint Twitter account like old marrieds because they are old marrieds. Like <laughs> they are they are old men who show up to the theater every night and they're catty. Like what Statler and Waldorf are married. Like this is yeah, they have a joint a joint Twitter account. Um, but yeah, like my favorite Muppets growing up were Miss Piggy and Animal. Um, for an entire uh, month once during the month of December back in like 2008, I think, uh, I would answer, anytime somebody called my cell phone, I would answer it and just yell, give me presents in the animal voice and then hang up immediately. Um, this is, So I really like the Muppets. Um, but Miss Piggy doing this duet with Alice Cooper, I'm not going to lie to you, it kind of got me. Alice Cooper singing You and Me with Miss Piggy? Yeah, except, and like, the joke is this 
it's you and me, and it's this ugly, like, monster puppet. And then at the very end, she opens her mouth, and it's Miss Piggy's voice, and he's tricked her with a uh, a monkey's paw of a deal of, for beauty. Yeah, and then she demands to be turned back. Uh, and she's like, you know, the deal is off. I'm not going to give my Muppet soul to Satan. And she storms off and calls him a creep. And then you get Alice Cooper on a phone with uh, Lucifer, the father of lies and the prince of darkness on the Muppet show, being like, do you give commissions for hourly rentals? Which is, <laughs> I, I respect the hustle uh, with Alice Cooper. And yeah, throughout this entire thing, he's just an agent of Satan. It's great. We also have to point out that one of the best bits is... Uh, Scooter walks in in the cold open and says, Oh, uh, Mr. Cooper, I'm so sorry. Uh, your dressing room is filled with Muppet monsters. And Alice Cooper's like, This is my backing band. They're, they came with me. They're not yours. <laughs> and the idea that they made bespoke Muppets for Alice oh. Cooper's band. And I don't believe they ever showed up again except for the scenes from this episode where they're they're Alice Cooper's band. That's how you <laughs> That's how you know the Henson Company is splashing out for you is bespoke custom demon Muppets when, <laughs> when you're on the show. God, that's amazing. There's also one of the numbers in this that kill me is that right after uh, Kermit the Frog being like, oh, God, this episode, like, everything's going to hell and it's all awful. And then it just cuts to the sweetest fucking number in the entire show ever, which is, um, I forget the name of the frog. Um, he plays Tiny Tim in the Muppet Christmas Carol. Robin. Robin. Thank you. God, I'm, I'm such a fake geek girl. Uh, but he does a heartbreaking rendition of Somewhere Over the Rainbow with no winking and no ghoulish shit and nothing bad happening. Uh, yeah, it's very incongruous, but also perfect. Yeah. And then, you know, we cut immediately, you know, basically, which, by the way, I love that um, Robin sounds like Neil Young. Uh, I think Neil Young might be a Muppet. He kind of looks like a Muppet. Um, but we yeah. get we go immediately from that to schools out with Alice Cooper and the Muppets. And he is you can tell that Alice is having a fucking ball. He has a demon tail in this number, and he's just twirling it around. Yeah, and he's like slam dancing with Muppets, and they're tossing him around, and he just, he's got this big grin throughout the thing, and it's just like, this is, can you imagine, uh, you know, American US dollars changed hands for you to dance around and get tossed by Muppets while singing School's Out? Like it's, there are far worse things that could happen. <laughs> it's it's good work if you can get it. Uh, but yeah, like Alice Cooper, just he commits. He is happy to be here. Um, it's it's a delight in the way that I felt like it added five years to my life to rewatch this today. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth checking out, and it's on Disney Plus. So if you uh, have infinite streaming services, it feels like uh, you can watch that one. So where yeah. do you want to put this on our list? Now, that's a great question. Uh, if, we're, if we're talking about camp and about um, sort of cartoonish ghoul stuff, at number 121, we have the original Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, which do we think is better? Alice Cooper cavorting with Muppets and bespoke custom Muppets, no less, or the Rocky Horror Picture Show uh, at number 121? I feel like for camp's sake... Rocky Horror is almost unassailable. Yeah, there's kind of it's the high it's the 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 high score for camp, I think musicals especially. 
Now, we also have a clutch of Halloween specials uh, a little, a bit farther down the list. We mm-hmm. have the Freddy Funko Show. We've got Beans Baxter at 452. Uh, what about all of these um, Halloween specials? Ooh, yeah, there's a passel of, uh, sort of, you know, Beans Baxter is right near Pagan Invasion Halloween Trick or Treat. Uh, which has, as you know, the best gra- uh, computer graphics that 1986 could give us. Um, I actually, so here's my problem. At number 450, we have Faces of Death, um, <laughs> which is, as you know, a classic sort of fake gore thing with a few actual death scenes sort of mixed in. Um, but in terms of like cultural impact, do you think Faces of Death or Alice Cooper on the Muppets had a bigger impact? You know what I don't see uh, a lot of is people talking about Alice Cooper on the Muppets. This may be a lost episode, in effect. Yeah, yeah, actually. I, that's that's kind of my thing, is like, what you get from this, usually with people, if, if people are talking about this uh, this appearance, is Sam Eagle uh, telling Alice Cooper that, you know, you are a demented freako, and Alice Cooper going, well, thank you, and that's it. Like, that's the clip that I've seen a million times without having, like, remembered it in context with the show um where faces of death at 450 i feel like you say that and everybody kind of immediately knows what you're talking about yeah and i mean one licensing but two there's tons of fan merchandise of uh faces of death you don't get a lot of fan merchandise of miss piggy as a monster singing not yet to Listen, uh, alice cooper we need to get a red bubble and be the change I think this is I I desperately want like a romantic Alice Cooper into Miss Piggy as a deformed monster t-shirt like that's you know what I it, I got a little choked up I I can't I'm not proud of it but that song just kind of gets me um, yeah, but I feel I feel good about good. that so coming in at our new number 451 uh, above Pagan Invasion Halloween Trick or Treat and below Faces of Death is The Muppet Show uh, season three episode seven. Uh, and obviously, guys, you can you know watch it on Disney Plus if you uh, ever have a mind to. Next, let's talk about another hidden gem on a streaming service. We're going to talk about George Romero's The Amusement Park. <sighs> so this movie, Jesus Christ, uh, this was a, a recently uncovered uh, gem that uh, apparently George Romero made back in like 1973. So it would have been like after Night of the Living Dead, but before Dawn of the Dead. Uh, and he apparently made this movie uh, for um, an organization as a sort of, uh, as a PSA against uh, elder abuse. The entire thing is about elder abuse. This, and This is Romero's only um, paid work. It's his only work for hire that he ever did. Now, I want to know something. Mm-hmm. This is after Romero made Night of the Living Dead. Right. Did the Lutheran church that funded this film know who they hired? Or did they just <laughs> go with local uh, Philadelphia uh, filmmaker? This guy will be great. Whatever. Well, that's that's kind of the thing. I mean, you know, this being pre-Google, nobody was, you know, Googling, like, George Romero, Pittsburgh zombie murder movie guy. It was just like... Oh, uh, you're a director, right? And and the thing is, it is incredible. Like, it is, it's genuinely, I, you know, I don't really think a lot about elder abuse. And this, like, I spent three days, like, thinking about the amusement park and how... It's, 
harrowing this movie is. Genuinely unsettling. Yeah, yeah. And it's, so it's not, it doesn't have a plot in the way that we think about plot, but it kind of does. Um, we So we get an opening with uh, 71-year-old actor Lincoln Mazel. Um, who actually plays the protagonist and he's it's like a it's a very high on troy mcclure moment he's like what you're about to see is a movie about elder abuse and i want you to think hard about it you may remember me from such elder abuse movies as whatever happened to baby jane like it's (laughs) it's incredible like he and you know he gives you this this monologue to uh from jump street where he's sort of like he and this is now here's the thing about george romero i love george romero um his politics have always been front and center in his career yeah like, he is not uh he does not mince words and this film is talking about like people derive people are forced to derive meaning from their vocation mm-hmm. and then people have to quit their vocation and then they're no longer seen as valuable members of society and if you're poor it's even worse yeah yeah like him being like you know the, the moment that you become unuseful to capitalism uh, they're they're going to leave you on a windswept crag, you know, to be taken by the crows. And he, you know, like just from, you know, from the start of the thing, he says uh, the supporting players of this film are not actors. So I don't know if that's actually true. It might be a work, but like, I think it's that they filmed it in a, at an actual amusement park and the non-principal actors are just people. Um, yeah, probably that and not that the actual elders in the film are non-actors because i find it hard to believe that for the amount of screen time a lot of the elderly actors in this movie have that Mm -hmm. they're not professionals yeah i george romero i don't yeah i feel like he's not just going to sort of let somebody's great uncle stumble in front of the camera for like five minutes yeah he's no hayseed he's gonna (laughs) actually like pay union actors Yeah, complete. He's a comrade. He's paying for union actors. Uh, and, you know, you, you get this monologue about how, like, uh, it old age comes for all of us eventually. Like, this is, you know, a thing that we all are going to look forward to. And this fucking matters, even if you're like, whatever, I'm tw- I'm a 25 year old moviegoer and I don't really think about this. Um, now, we, uh, we we get the opening thing, which is this big, stark white waiting room with nothing to do in it. Um, and Lincoln Muzzle, uh, sitting there, he kind of looks like Mark Twain a little bit. Yeah, he was, well, more like Hal Holbrook as Mark Twain, yeah. but fallen on hard times. He's like <laughs> bloodied with a giant cartoonish bandaid on his head and his, his mustache is un, unquaffed. Is that, <laughs> yeah, he's got a disheveled mustache. The reason why you know his mustache is disheveled is not because you look at it and go, man, there's a lot of soup in that stash. It's because <laughs> Lincoln Mazel walks through the door in like his white suit finery and talks to a bedraggled version of himself. Yeah. And he's, you know, sort of stepping in, sort of looking, you know, breezy. He's, uh, you know, 70, flirty and thriving, you know, and he... Um, is asking him like, well, hey, what's uh, do you want to go outside? And then the 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 beat up, bloodied version of himself just says, "There's nothing outside," while like sort of visibly holding back tears. Um, now, Quincy, I'm gonna say a thing and see if it's true. This movie shares some. It's kissing cousins with a racer head. Yes, I will agree with that because it does have a lot to say about 
the American family and American values mm-hmm. in a very uncomfortable, bizarre way. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a great way to put it. Like it's very focused on the family and the way that we relate to each other, and um, just seeing like Lincoln Muscle sitting there holding back tears, bloody, and just saying, "There's nothing outside." Um, it hold, you, you you sort of know immediately like. I need an adult for this. This is going to upset me. And it does. Uh, Lincoln Muzzle, the, the intact debonair version of himself, sort of, you know, looks at the beaten up version and says, like, well, if you don't mind, I'd like to go outside and see for myself. And then he opens the door and steps out immediately into an uh, amusement park title card. Um, now, what That's result? That's the name of the movie. He said it. He said the thing. Um, now, the thing is, immediately when he goes outside... It's almost like he regrets stepping out the door because of just the amount of jarring noise and visuals. Like, you get sort of like a, a cursed Boz Luhrmann sequence. And what this movie captures really well is my disdain for carnivals. Because <laughs> it's just rife with carnies. Man, I will I will say, though, I actually... Um, so the reason that uh, we I've, I've been sort of MIA on uh, uh, the Rank and Vile Twitter is that for the last week and a half, I was in uh, Colorado uh, with some friends uh, taking a vacation, which is a thing I never, ever do. So it was weird to, like... I still worked the entire time because I, I don't know how to relax. Um, but we, you know, on one day, we went to this little amusement park thing that apparently in Steamboat Springs is like an institution... They had uh, this roller coaster thing that was like you would get in in a little individual car on this huge, huge railroad uh, or like this huge roller coaster track. And you could control your speed with these little levers. They should like not an action park, but murdered people. Yes. Yeah. They should not have given me the freedom to control how fast I go. And I'm, <laughs> I'm really bad at spatial relations. And I thought I was going to die. Um, but amusement parks are a thing that I feel like I'm fond of but as i'm getting older i'm like i can already feel how tired my legs are walking around all day (laughs) like i I just want to sit down um so one of the first carnies we see is this guy who's trading antiques roadshow roadshow style trading antiques for tickets to the carnival yeah, and he's just a complete grifter. Like, you know, it, sort of immediately you know that nobody at this park is going to be helping uh, Lincoln Mazel. Yeah, because like, he's buying priceless antiques for $5 a piece. Yeah, he's like a predatory pawn shop guy, and people are going up and they're sort of like, wow, this is, you know, the, the my, my, my mother's, like, Christopher Walken from Pulp Fiction comes up, your father's watch, and... You know, the guy just takes it. He's like, whatever. He's like GameStop, basically, where he's like, all right, $5. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, and it's just the indignity that you see all of these elderly people dealing with with this guy that's just giving them like five bucks for the things they care about. Um, now, the thing is, it also gets really stylized because you get rides with signs that are like, you must make this much money and not have age-related disabilities to ride. <laughs> and it's also like, if you are dizzy have diabetes or are nearsighted you may <laughs> not ride and also the carney running the ride is turning people away just on principle alone he's like didn't you read the sign and all of these indignant senior citizens are like i have not those how do you know that i don't qualify for this ride he's like beat it scram yeah just you know he's just the the elderly disrespecter uh and you've got you you know you've got one sign on the coaster that actually says must not fear the unknown which oh 
okay amusement park. Like, I don't know. I don't know how you test that. Uh, but you know, you get these shots of people riding the roller coaster, and all of the elderly people on the roller coaster look like they're gonna fucking die. Where they are having a bad time, like their faces are folding, and it's just, it's not, it's not fun. Um, it's on the train ride that we start to figure out that something might be off because there's a dude on the ride with what looks like a gimp mask. Yeah. What was up with really, Gimp Guy? The, I don't know because it's not really revisited. <laughs> they never really go back to the Gimp. Um, he's there, you know, uh, and there's... The entire thing feels like purgatory, I think. Yeah, it's very surreal, very dream logic. There is a moment where... Uh, this couple gets on the bumper cars and oh, then man. they get into an accident and a police officer drives up and takes statements and writes a ticket for insurance purposes. It's also incredible. Yeah. Like getting into the bumper cars ride. First of all, um, you have to take an eye exam to get into the bumper cars ride. And then when two of the cars bump into each other and one of them is just like, ah, fucking old people shouldn't be allowed to drive. And like, <laughs> This sequence goes on for a while with like the the everybody just sort of yelling at each other because of the car ride. And then there's a discussion of insurance rates and how the couple, the older couple doesn't know how they're going to make ends meet now that their rates are going to increase. Yeah, now that your insurance rates and there's a dude at a counter with a huge rubber stamp that just says reject. It's like the size of a shoe, this this rubber stamp. Um and it's now it is really funny to watch the bumper car ride thing, but it's also that it, like, oh, the conceit of this was funny, but actually this scene is going on for like a while, but not as long as the fortune teller telling the young couple what their marriage is going to be like, Ooh, and it becomes man. an extended vision into the future about uh, poverty. That scene is actually, it's harrowing because, you know, it's like the, uh, so Lincoln Mazel, you know, sees this young couple going in and being like, yeah, we want to know about the future where we're in love and everything is great. And she's like, are you sure about that, Sparky? And he's like, absolutely. And then they, you know, see a vision of hell where it's just like, she's dying. He can't pay for it. Uh, they're both old. Uh, it's. No ups- one will help them. The wife literally calls the doctor and is like, please come see us. And the doctor's like, No. Man, it's now, and what's also incredible is that, like, there's, during this, you get sort of a landlord uh, piece of shit who doesn't want to renovate this couple's building, and you you get this sort of interview with him being like, yeah, well, tough teddies, what are you going to do? And um, He says, well, they don't take care of themselves or my property, so why should I bother? Yeah, and the whole place is fucking falling apart, and it's just... This is so much... Now, I, I, I sometimes think of George Romero uh, being sort of a bleeding heart lefty, you know, going from Night of the Living Dead, where he's kind of like, hey, maybe the police aren't actually that helpful, to, like, Land of the Dead and him just being like, all right, well, John Leguizamo needs to fucking kill Dennis Hopper and take all of his things. Like, we can't trust the rich and we need to kill them. Um, and the thing is that it was always in the mix. Like, the, his condemnation of power structures that exploit the vulnerable... Quincy, I love George A. Romero. Yeah, he's also remarkably egalitarian in his casting. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a very diverse cast. Um, one, it's giving older actors jobs that mm-hmm. they don't really get a lot of. 
and two, um, it's it's racially diverse as well. Yeah, and it's also, which is another thing about Night of the Living Dead, that when you think about the casting of the main character, um, and of course, Sergio Romero at the time was, you know, playing Coy, where he was like, oh, I don't know, you know, he was just the best uh, actor to show up to audition for the part. But then, you know, he's like, yeah, that's why I did the ending the way I did it, because I had a black protagonist getting, you know. And he, I just really, really love George Romero and the way that he does this. And there's also just, you get these sequences in the amusement park of, like, the elderly being forced to do physical therapy as a ride. Like... Yeah, and then also the freak show and and the sideshow is just old people in bathing suits. Yeah, Jesus Christ. And then, you know, we also get um, Lincoln Mazel getting... Uh, menaced by uh, bikers who just sort of circle him like sharks and just they they what, what happened to Romero to make him view bikers the way that he does oh, because like yeah. he's not very favorable to bikers in any of his body of work they're always <laughs> these like agents of chaos and terror yeah between the amusement park and the motorcycle uh, gang from Dawn of the Dead. Maybe he had a bad time at a gas station once, or like maybe they surrounded him on the highway and he got freaked out or something. You're totally right. He has a thing maybe with bikers. Maybe that scene in Smoking the Bandit where the bikers beat up <laughs> Snowman just really gets his goat. And he's like, it's not fair. <laughs> yeah, it's just he's going to write this wrong on on. Leave Sony Fred one. the Bassett hat alone, you sons of bitches. <laughs> I mean, this is also my, my platform about, about the Basset Hound. Um, he, so he gets the shit kicked out of him by these bikers in a sequence that also lasts for a long time. And it, you know, it just, the, the other thing is that it goes from that to, um, so it goes from that to him being trapped in paperwork hell. So much of this movie is bureaucracy horror. Yeah. Also, uh, soon after that, we have one of his few moments of respite which is reading a picture book to a small child oh man man so this is so after he's gotten uh the bejesus beaten out of him by bikers and had all of his shit taken you know he stumbles onto this uh sort of lakeside you know bank with like a a, a mother and a child and he goes up and sees this this adorable you know little girl and his eyes light up because he's like oh hi kiddo and, you know, he comes over and he's, like, talking to her and the mother is clearly just looking at this old guy showing up with just, like, disdain. Um, but, you know, she's she's reading a book and he's like, do you want me to read your book to you? And she's like, yeah. And he's reading the book to her and clearly having a great time just like, fuck, a moment of tenderness and human interaction and, like, maybe feeling a little young again because I get to talk to a kid and read to him. And the mother just immediately going like, yeah, fuck off and, like, grabbing the book, grabbing the kid, booking it. And he just breaks down crying. Yeah. And and this is simultaneously the best scene in the movie and the scene in the movie that kind of lost me mm-hmm. the most. Um, here's the thing. Subtlety is for cowards. And this movie <laughs> is not subtle at all. No. It is, um, as is what's called for with a PSA movie, didactic as fuck. Yes. Yeah. The problem with these kinds of movies is they're not really film. That's not the point of the... A film can have a message. A film can have a theme. But a film is not solely its message. And although this is a, a 
this is a public service announcement. It's a commercial made by filmmakers that are very talented. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's a didactic commercial. Yeah. So, so you mean it's to say Harry that... Chapin's uh, Cats in the Cradle. Yeah. So, like, you mean to say that, like, knowing that this was commissioned by the Lutheran Church for a specific purpose, you can have a lot of really cool stuff around it. But if the the core of the thing is that it's trying like that it's made as a kind of PSA it's like how like look reefer madness we can laugh at it in retrospect but the point of the thing was to spread misinformation about and not that spreading misinformation about weed use is the same thing as George Romero making a brutal movie about elder abuse but so that that being a central feature for you is kind of a it kind of makes it not totally a movie yeah it's not art to me it's it it borderlines on sentimental which Mm -hmm. is weird because it's also a movie where a biker gang beats the living (laughs) shit out of a man although you know what though it's not a one-to-one have you seen any of the latter day lifetime movies (laughs) they get fucking hog wild my guy like you get these movies like stalked by my doctor um where it's just talking about that stalker Calling Stockter love. Yeah, that's what it is. Like, it's, uh, maybe it's just I've seen too many of those in later, in later days because of how fucking bananas they are. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, can, I, can, I can totally see, you know, like, knowing. Now, here's also my, my, my thing about the amusement park. And not that a thing needs a coherent narrative to, you know, make it a movie. Because, again, going back to Eraserhead, Eraserhead's, pl- like, described to me the plot of Eraserhead sort of thing. Um, or any Lynch yeah. film. <laughs> yeah, tell me the plot I love of Lost Highway. Holland Drive, but not because it's a narrative. Because frankly, right. it's not a narrative. Oh no, none of them are. Like the closest you get is Twin Peaks, and even then, it gets fucking uh, bonkers. But yeah, I, I think that a movie doesn't have to have a coherent uh, beginning, middle, and end for me to for me to be into it. But I I, I can see your point about. This feels more like a shoebox diorama from George Romero, where it's like elder abuse. It's like a tone poem about elder abuse. So there's a reason why it was forgotten. It was it was not lost from any sense of like tragedy. Mm-hmm. It was literally uh, George Romero's wife was like, he never talked about this movie. And we watched it on a DVD once. And he's like, oh, yeah, I made this. And he's like, that's it. It, there's a reason it was forgotten. Mm-hmm. Well, and also the thing about George Romero's wife that, that kills me is that um, she started a foundation um, in in his name to help, like, you know, indie filmmakers and people starting out. Because apparently before he died, you know, he said to her, like, none of my movies mattered anyway, and nobody remembers them, and, and none of it mattered. Which is, my guy, George, you made, like, you made Dawn of the Dead. You made Night of the Living Dead, like... You made the crazies. I don't... It breaks my heart that somebody could do the things that George Romero did. And I mean, even then, a thing like the amusement park, the fact that he could make something so emotionally affecting for me anyway, and then just be like, ah, it's bullshit, and just like file it away to be watched later. Yeah, it's... It's wild. Yeah. So, I don't know. I... This is my, you know, George Gwynn voice, sometimes dead is better. Like, I don't (laughs) know if this is... 
we we like the narrative of like oh it's a really good thing that you know we forgot about like mm-hmm. you know everyone wants a gore cut of Tammy and the T-Rex but oh, of course. not everything is going to be the gore cut of Tammy and the T-Rex <laughs> some stuff has got to be just garbage Man, and actually, my, my thing is, I think I liked this movie a little more than you did, but I, I, I do think there's the thing of, like, uh, maybe sometimes we, we like the idea of the hidden gem or, the di- or like, the forgotten gem uh, that, we you know, was, was sort of, like, plucked from obscurity and viewed in a new light. And I, do, and I am really glad that I watched The Amusement Park. Um, oh, I am, too. And, and I will say that the acting and direction is superb. Yeah. It is masterfully made Mm -hmm. well and also the looping device of you know so he gets the shit kicked out of him by bikers he tries reading to a little girl and is having a moment of fucking joy for once in his amusement park day and then it gets taken away and then he just sort of despondently wanders back to the waiting room because it's better than being outside and that's when we get who we've just watched go through everything see the previous version of himself walk in and go like hey it's a bright sunshiny day outside and then with the benefit of having seen the last and, and you know, it is only an hour long. It's uh, what, it's like 57 minutes or something. Yeah. And yeah. It's very short. It's not feature length. No. And it, it shouldn't be. I don't you know, that's the thing. I don't want a feature length version of the amusement park. Um, but, you know, like when he says there's nothing out there like and then so you get that and then it cuts to Mazel, the guy who uh, bookended the movie at the start saying you are literally the man in the amusement park and here's where you can volunteer to help the elderly and then you know he gives you a bunch of stuff and then he says i'll see you in the park someday which is very just sort of you know as i as you are as uh you are now so once was i sort of thing yeah Um, and yeah yeah and i mean you know it's if we're talking about the the beat takeshi sort of western film is fascist because it wants to tell you how to feel sort of thing i this is a weird mishmash of both for me where on one level this movie is very interested in being didactic about elder abuse but the imagery in it is so surreal and jarring and genuinely upsetting and artistic that like it somehow manages to be a uh an impressionistic psa what i would kill for is to hear the discussions of the uh, firm that commissioned the film. <laughs> I mean, they took one look at this and went, this is too disturbing. We can't do anything with this, George. Thank you very much. Uh, which I love. And honestly, cowards. You cowards. He Listen <laughs> listen to me. This is the most you're going to make a lot of people think about elder abuse because they may not be able to pin it down, but they'll be able to go like, oh, I've got a vague sense of unease about all of this. And I don't, yeah. Um, but it's not... It's not totally a movie. It would be like a really, really good college film course submission. Yeah. So here's my important question to you, Ryan. Mm -hmm. Is it better than Spooky Buddies? (laughs) Uh, That's a great question. Uh, Wait, quick question. Which number is uh, Spooky Buddies? 434. There we go. Holy shit. Uh, so Spooky Buddies, <laughs> one of the boss battles of our list at number 434. Um, so in one film, actually, Spooky Buddies has more in common with the Alice Cooper Muppet special because of uh, trying to steal the souls of dogs. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Spooky Buddies at 434, I feel like between Spooky Buddies and uh, which is a, a technically a Disney movie about puppies and d- dead dog souls and wizards and halloween 
Uh, and, and it's it, also on Disney Plus if you wish hey, to watch it. Also on Disney Plus, so go check that out. Um, yeah, you could you could do a, a Spooky Buddies Alice Cooper Muppets uh, double feature. Um, between Spooky Buddies and The Amusement Park by George Romero, I think I want to give the edge to The Amusement Park only because... Uh, you know, Spooky Buddies. We talk about it a lot, and like it's it's also a completely bananas movie. Um, but it, it, you know, it does ha- at least have a coherent narrative. Where I feel like the images, and I'm very you know, I'm a huge fan of David Lynch, and so like emotional moments and images and stuff that aren't strictly speaking a good movie, um, I tend to be a big a big sucker for. And I think the emotional moments in the amusement park and like the images and the way it burned itself into my brain. I think between the one about the dog that eats an eyeball and farts out a fume that kills dog Satan and George Romero's meditation on elder abuse, I want to give the edge to the amusement park. I think Uh, you're right uh, because there's no heart in spooky buddies, which is, (laughs) which makes it even more bizarre because it's a movie for children about puppies and it has like no, pathos <laughs> unneeded listen we've got a, a dog satan named the halloween hound voiced by diedrich bader like i don't you know i don't i don't need i don't need pathos in my spooky buddies movie um but scrolling up a little bit quincy at number 420 blaze it we have uh the original castle freak uh by, by Stuart Gordon. uh which would you wanna actually you know and here's where i'm gonna pull out friday night test you've got a two liter of mug root beer you got a tombstone pizza which are you putting on, Castle Freak or the amusement park? Man, I I'm gonna go with Castle Freak, mm-hmm. but Castle Freak is not as well made as the amusement park, which is yeah. it's driving me crazy because we have two headed shark attack at number four fifteen, and there's the amusement park is infinitely better made than that. Agree. So actually, if we're going with production design. Quincy, at number 361, we have Bram Stoker's Dracula, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Another movie that narratively doesn't make a lot of sense and isn't that good on that level, but has beautiful visuals and incredible design and really cool direction. I, I'm i going to keep it 100 with you. I kind of want to give the edge to Bram Stoker's Dracula over the amusement park. Okay, so here's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. At number 357, we have He Took His Skin Off From Me. Oh, yeah. And that is my absolute cannot go above 357. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he took his gun off for me, which is also, you know, it, it's a short film, but also so is The Amusement Park. Like, neither of those are, are, a, are a tight 90. Um, I think he took his gun off for me kind of gets to the point and nails it more succinctly than The Amusement Park. Yeah, yeah. And, and has that same kind of emotional weight to it, even though it's not teaching a lesson Mm -hmm. but again i don't really i think this the what's sticking in my craw is that Mm -hmm. the amusement park is a psa and i totally yeah actually when you when you point that out it's knowing that going in i feel like i i i hadn't known that this was a psa going in and like found it out later reading the imdb trivia that would have definitely colored my experience of it and you know I, i i frequently when i know that a thing is meant to be for my edification I immediately get annoyed about it, and I'm just kind of like, don't fucking patronize me. Just, like, trust that I know that Elder Abuse is wrong. But, um, I mean, so so it's the cats in the cradle effect, which I've mentioned before. It, mm-hmm. it is art 
but it's art with a message. Mm-hmm. And it's just like so tired that even though the message is valuable, mm-hmm. it's just saying nothing new and it's annoying. Yeah. The the benefits I got from this movie were pretty much entirely emotional and visual because of George Romero just going ham sandwich on the visuals. Um, and in terms of messaging, I mean, it's kind of, I don't know that anybody was going to volunteer with a service to help the elderly because of the movie Amusement Park. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a thing that you watch with your friends and go, oh man, that was fucked up. And you sort of stumble off in a haze. Um, but yeah, no, I, I totally, I totally agree. So right underneath, um, he took his skin off for me. Uh, at number 358, we have the Howling Three, colon, the Marsupials, um, <laughs> which... God fucking bless. I gotta tell you, and I, I don't mean to I don't mean to take a hard stance. I will kind of be goddamned if I put the amusement park below the howling three, the marsupial. I mean, we do see a marsupial werewolf being born oh, in that's true. the howling three. Oh, we do see but... the the miracle of childbirth. That oh, <laughs> you know what? That's true. But I will agree that the the amusement park is more emotionally effective <laughs> than the Howling Three, of the Marsupials. Man, although you know what though, I'm clowning on it. I'm this actually just made me go, oh, I gotta rewatch the Howling Three. Um, but yeah, so I feel good about that. So coming in at our new number three hundred and fifty eight, uh, above the Howling Three, Cole and the Marsupials, and below he took a skin off for me, is George A. Romero's The Amusement Park. Uh, and guys, this is also streaming on Shutter right now. So if you have an hour to kill and you want to feel bad, go ahead and watch the amusement park. It is, I will say, an utterly fucking singular movie-going experience. I've never seen anything like it. It is the feel-bad movie of 2021. <laughs> sad, sad, sad girl summer. Um, so yeah, I feel good about that. Quincy, uh, where can our listeners find us on the internet? Our listeners can find um, quite a bit of our output on our uh, podcast network's website, FaustianNonsense.com. There you can find links to our Discord, uh, where there are a, there are so many in-jokes that even I, who <laughs> work on this podcast, am lost um, 90% of the time. But I think it's because I'm an, I'm an old. Uh, we also have a Twitter, at uh, RankinVileCast, and an Instagram, at RankinVile. Uh, you can shoot us an email if you want to get in touch with us, uh, rankinballcast at gmail.com. And we are on just about every podcast app. So um, if you can, uh, please leave us a review. Yeah, we would. That, it would be enormously appreciated. And guys, um, if you are uh, an indie filmmaker and you uh, want us to talk about your uh, movie on the show or uh, you have, like, bulk cup koozies with your movie's logo on it that you want to send out, uh, yeah, hit us up at rankandvilecast at gmail.com. Guys, uh, we love the community. We love the Discord. Um, Thank you so much for listening. Uh, That is about all I've got. You got anything else? Stay spooky. Later, folks.